I had a fry every day this summer. Working on building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, the food, the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM. Live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Meaningful Metrics on Off The Ball. In partnership with Whoop, a personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. All right, we've had our nostalgic moment with John O'Mahony and Johnny Crowley looking back in 2000. Now we're getting down to the deep stuff, the stats, the meaningful metrics on Off The Ball in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more and to talk through the meaningful metrics ahead of the All-Ireland Football. I'm delighted to be joined by Whoop Ambassador, Connor Myler. Evening, Connor. Evening. Thank you for having me. And Michael McCarthy. Still <laughs> waiting for the uh, Whoop deal. But open to offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open to offers. Uh, So, Connor, the way this is going to work, I'm told, is Mick is going to give us the stats. You're going to give us the, you know, real life experience. (laughs) Yep, not a problem. Why are you going to start with Mick? Yeah, so what do you got for us? Basically, a couple of little stats and then a conversation with Connor about the the All Ireland. I'm going to start with the league connection uh, between leagues and all Ireland's because it does matter for this week. Because, as we know, Galway are promoted Division 2 team. Uh, played Division 2 football this year. Since the league was restructured to its current format in 2008, we've had 14 seasons. The Division 2 team has never won the All-Ireland in that time. So uh, what that means is that... Um, sorry, three have made finals in that time. Cork in 2009, Down in 2010, and Donegal in 2014. But they've all lost... Like Galway, weirdly enough, all three had been promoted that year, so there is something to be said for the uh, momentum of uh, getting through the league. Um, the average league position of All-Ireland winning teams since 2008, 2.64. Uh, and in the 14 years of the current structure, the league champions have gone on to win the All-Ireland six times, which is 43%. Right. And who are the current league champions, Nathan? Would it be Kerry? Who they beat in the final? I don't want to talk about who they beat in the final. <laughs> That's nothing to do with the metrics. It's I just not, wanted no, to you just wanted to it, rub yeah. it in again. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, well, listen, Connor. Uh, a Division Two team beating a Division One team in a big game—could it happen? Yeah. Well, we probably have first-hand experience of this Kerry, so it's definitely doable. I think with momentum, with winning games, it does bring momentum, and we've probably seen that this year with Galway and the momentum they've brought. And, and how that's just sort of spiralled. They've had a lot of tough opposition this year with Division 2 being so competitive and getting out of Connacht with how competitive it is and then within the championship so far in the All-Ireland series. The momentum they've brought is is serious and I think they've probably had more challenging games well up until probably the semi-final uh, than Kerry had. So they'll be well-equipped for sure. Yeah, they have had a... A tough path while we looked at it and said maybe they were on the more straightforward side of the draw because they avoided the Mayo Dublin Kerry or particularly the Dublin Kerry side of the draw like the whole way through their teams have been of a similar standard they've been teams who've been informed through the league campaign so actually like they've won a lot of tough matches yeah without a doubt and that tough matches that sticks with you and um, when you go to the well in the latter stages of the game and when decision making can go out the window a bit, Galway have been there and thereabouts and they've stuck tight with teams. So I have no doubt that it'll go down to the wire again this weekend. What else you got for us, Mick? 
So before we get into the nitty gritty of the game, just one more. You know I like my uh, historical stats, uh, and I want to do one on droughts because weirdly enough, a drought will be ended one way or another uh, this weekend. And one of them that we know will be ended is that Galway are in their first final in 21 years. This is Galway's longest time to not make a final since they first made it in 1919, which I kind of found a bit mm. surprising. It won't be their longest period without an All-Ireland, though. They have another few years to wait on that because they had a 32-year drought oh. between 1966 and 1998. So they have another, another 11 years or so to get over that, uh, to get, to get over that one. But um, <laughs> this one I love is like eight years since Kerry have won Sam Maguire, right? Hilariously. That is their third longest wait for an All-Ireland since they won it first in 1903. Wow. Third longest, eight years. That's a fairly consistent level of success right there. Oh, my God. So they got 10 years between 1924 and um, uh, 1933 or whatever it was, and then their famous 11-year famine between 1986 and 1997. And I have actually heard Kerry people refer to that as a famine without any sense of irony whatsoever. I wouldn't want to say to my face. Uh, anytime I hear droughts uh, being from Mayo and it's 21 years or seven years, uh, I'm not impressed. It is something we definitely always like to talk about in the media, Connor, is how long it's been and the pressure and the burden that is on players' shoulders. And you can't even go back to Tyrone, the sense this year of, well, Tyrone never defended an All-Ireland title. Like, is, is that a factor? Is that something that's spoken about in dressing rooms? Yeah, well, just just on that sort of period of time, not making finals. We look at Galway; none of the Galway players will have played in an All Ireland final um, for Galway. When you look at Kerry, a number of these players will have played in twenty nineteen uh, and previous, so they have that final experience, and that will without a doubt stand to them. Uh, although Porrick Joyce and John Devilly will will have no a wee bit more as well um, from a managerial point of view. I remember in 2018 when we lost the final. Personally, I just felt the occasion probably got the better of me and a number of players. And the psychological side of things with the build-up, there's a lot of pressure that goes on there. And within players, you know, friends, families, what's going on in the local town, the local club, and you know that has to be managed from a Galway perspective. For them, it's a case of playing the game and what they've done so well so far and not seeing it as an all Ireland final, but you know, as the same game just on a special occasion. For Kerry, I have no doubt that they'll be well hurt well rehearsed uh, in that aspect. With Paddy Tally there as well. Um, you know, Paddy will be keeping very much feet on the ground and and some of the older men that Kerry have will be sort of parting some knowledge with the younger players to to ensure that they're they're up to speed for, for a big occasion. Connor, do you think there is a there is a, a county mentality though that exists? I, I I'm thinking of you guys really. Like obviously, you know, it was your first final in a long time in 2018, but you would have come into it thinking, you know, it might not be the same people. But when Throne rake all Ireland finals, we tend to win them, you know. And even even last year, I suppose there, there was just a kind of a sense of we're playing against a team who don't really have had problems getting over the line let's say to be nice to Nathan whereas we know that you know Tyrone have this tradition does that come into it at all or are, like are these days players just so nuts and bolts and we're just focusing on the matchups and the, the game at hand No I think the psychology is huge it's probably more impactful than the physical side of things and 
even the time between semi-finals to finals now for both teams, neither team will get fitter, faster, or stronger. But tactically and psychologically, how they manage the game and the occasion will probably be the biggest telling factor uh, in the game. I think, you know, if, how do Kerry manage conceding an early goal or on the flip reverse Galway? If a team gets four or five points ahead, how they handle that? Yellow cards, red cards, all those scenarios. And again, decision making on the ball. It nearly feels like with the crowd and the, the atmosphere, it feels like you've no time on the ball at all. And your decision making is going to be going to be huge. Tackles, turnovers um, and, and that side of things. So the psychology is massive. Whoever handles that pressure better is is definitely probably, in my eyes, a team that's going to go ahead and win it. Uh, Mick, looking at goals, and we mentioned the 2000 final there, the first uh, game, the drawn game, there was no goals mm. uh, in that one. It's a bit of a rarity that there's no goals in an All-Ireland final. Uh, but Kerry have been particularly mean at the back this year. Yeah, so I was surprised actually when I seen this, just how mean they have been. So they've played 15 games in League and Championship this year and have conceded only three goals which is quite amazing. Cormac Costello's goal uh, in the second half of the semi-final was the first goal they've conceded the championship. In the league, they conceded a penalty to Conor McManus and uh, Darren McCurry in your game, uh, Conor, got one past them. Uh, the only game, the only uh, goal they conceded from play in the entire league. So, really tough to score goals against Kerry. Uh, I didn't necessarily, that's funny when you dig into these stats, like I hadn't necessarily seen Kerry as such a kind of a tight, mm. mean team. You look at Galway on the other hand, and goals are going to be so important this weekend. Galway have conceded six goals in their last three games. They conceded one to Derry, uh, as we know. They conceded three to Armagh and two to Roscommon in the Connacht final. A lot of those goals are late as well, uh, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, definitely not as tight as Kerry have been so on the evidence we've seen so far. During the semi-final, Connor, I, I was remarking when at one stage Kerry had 14 men back behind the ball. Jeez, they were tackling like animals and weren't giving Dublin a split second on the ball but looking at them going God you think of the great traditions and the way we think of Kerry football that if they were to lose this game they'd get absolutely hammered for being so defensive but they have the forwards who are so electric that we focus a lot on them rather than how defensive and how they've changed the defensive structure when you think back to playing them over the last few years and like Mick outlined that defensive record three goals in 15 competitive games is a remarkable record are they a very different defensive outfit now? Yeah, I think that Kerry have probably realised that their defence was their Achilles heel in the past. And that was obviously the reason that Paddy Halley was brought in to, to try and rectify that. With, for, from a Galway perspective, I know last year when we played Kerry, it was a case of throwing caution to the wind as well. And we went without a sweeper. Both teams went without a sweeper and it was a bit of a shootout. For our goal in the league this year, it was a long kick out, a long kick in and then a great finish. So there's lessons to be learned there. If you're trying to play with a sweeper, but you're pressing up on a kick out, there's going to be gaps at the back if you can get a long kick out away. And I can see Galway getting joy if they target that long kick out from a carry press with some of the height and physicality they have around midfield and in their half forward line where carry are, from a half back perspective, quite small. You might see a change in clientele there from the carry perspective. Could Adrian's plan start? Could Jack Parry and Jeremy O'Connor possibly start um, if Galway attempt to target that long kickout? But if Galway are conservative, I can't see them scoring goals because it'll allow Kerry time to get back. If they try and transition quickly, it'll open up opportunities. 
from a defensive perspective as well. There's probably a narrative as well within Kerry and Dublin in the last number of years that it's been so attacking and free-flowing. But both teams will play 14 men behind the ball teams and every team does it. Some teams are just probably quicker at transitioning from it. And some of the forward play is so electric that it grabs the headlines um, rather than the defensive display. But we've probably seen this year with how Kerry have played that if you can keep goals out, it'll go a long way to, to winning games. So they've they've really narrowed down on that. And it's it's been a huge strength for them this year and, and the role that Tag Morley in particular has played. What about the scoring power then, Mick, of the two marquee forwards for either side? Yeah, I think that's that's what a lot of people are looking at is, you know, how are you going to go about this winning this game? And it's going to be keeping Clifford and O'Shea quiet on one side and it's going to be keeping Comer and Walsh quiet uh, on the other I would have thought that Kerry, if you had, you know, Ganey, Potty, Clifford, there's probably just a little bit more scoring power there. But the stats actually go the other way. Um, if you look at the uh, Kerry, it seems have a higher reliance on their big two than Galway do. It is only slight, but Sean O'Shea has scored 123 uh, so far this year, 13 from freeze. David Clifford has scored 113.7 from freeze. That's three. Uh, that's... Um, uh, 236 of the 382 that Kerry have scored this year which is 46% of their scores now there's a caveat to that in that David Clifford missed two games so you know like um, one doesn't he score a lot but <laughs> two uh, you know that's a, that would even be a higher percentage if he had played in the Munster final for example uh, for Galway Shane Walter scored 127 20 from freeze and Comer has scored 2-9 from play but that just makes up 39% of their scores so you look at Finnerty I think he has 13 points uh, so far this season. You know, like, for example, there's a lot of, there's, there seems to be a lot more scoring in Galway. Again, another stat that just jumped out at me as a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Thomas Sullivan has to be in the running for Footballer of the Year. I know everyone expects David Clifford to get it, but he's been outstanding all year at both ends. So you look at the last three games, he's kicked seven points. He kicked three against Limerick, three against Mayo, one against Dublin, and he's only conceded 1-1 one, one in those three games. Hugh Burke didn't score in the Limerick game. Kevin McLaughlin got a point and Cormac Costello got an absolute wonder goal. Uh, does he take Shane Walsh on Sunday, Connor? Potentially, or Brian O'Begley, who picked up Kilkenny, probably in the semi-final. If you're Shane Walsh will drop quite deep at times, potentially even come back to his own half-back line just to get hands on the ball. So it's a question of, do you take Tom O'Sullivan out that far? Uh, I don't know. Do you keep him inside on Finnerty, who has been the real danger man? And as you alluded to, he has scored quite highly. From uh, from the stats there, even just listening, I wasn't aware of how many frees that Kerry have scored compared to Galway and Comers. Well, every Comer has scored is from play. So conceding free kicks is going to be going to be a huge one as well um, from a kick. Perspective, they nail their freeze. Sean O'Shea is is on another level when it comes to that. And I suppose, even if I take my own thoughts and mindset going into the semi final and final last year, if you're a Galway player and you're going to mark Sean O'Shea or David Clifford or a Polly Clifford, you have to accept the fact that they're going to score. It's it's damage limitations in that sense. They're good players who want to play well and they will score. But it's a case of over that 70 minutes, how many contests can you win? And on the flip side, Comer's going to score, Walsh is going to score, Finnerty will score. But it's a case of how many of those individual battles when the ball's put in 
does the Kerry defence come away with or the Galway defence come away with? Because ultimately those players will score and they will play well. Uh, I'd imagine the big day, but it's a case of obviously how many. Connor, can I ask, I've been thinking about this a lot over the analysis when we talk so much about who takes who. Um, and sometimes it can be, obviously for a marquee matchup, that's fine. But sometimes we're talking about it for six defenders. And when you guys are playing Kerry, for example, uh, last year, have you got a player assigned for every carry forward or is it a little bit more fluid? Um, it's slightly more fluid. I think if you go man to man all over the pitch, it will leave gaps because players now are so smart that they will know to pull wide and pull men out. Um, teams are so well drilled that you can't you can't do that. Keeping the scoring, that scoring zone compact and tight, um, you're looking at percentages there where teams are likely to score from, what's, what areas, then that's the areas you really want to nail down. So it can't be as rigid as that. You will have certain matchups on certain players. And in some cases, it'll be a case of you go to town with them and you make sure that you limit even their possession count because certain players probably, when they have high possessions, it tends to relay to assists and scores. Other players, it's a case of picking them up when they reach a certain point or they become dangerous. So for both managers, I would imagine that they will firstly be conscious of keeping the scoring zone compact. And then it's a case of when do we press out, when do we pick up certain players. But somebody like David Clifford, it's a case of you go to town with, with David Clifford, you can't give him any room, any room or space at all because he can turn on a sixpence, he can go left, right, his, dot, his cut, his dummy, he can come out on the loop and he can also go in behind. So you have to be on your toes with that. And for someone like that, it'll be a case of you stick with him. And I would imagine it'll be the same for, for Shane Walsh and, and Damien Comer. The way that Armand and Derry did on, on Shane Walsh, they, they did a job on him. Because as we've seen in the past, when you give him time and space, he's, he's a, a magnificent footballer and, and probably one of the best to watch. You have an interesting stat on Clifford and when we talk about man-marking mm. and sacrificing your own game, it does seem that whoever man-marks Clifford will have to sacrifice their own game completely. Yeah, so Sean Kelly is full-back and he's captain and you would almost think he has to take the responsibility of taking on Clifford, but a huge part of what Galway do is comes through Sean Kelly in attack. Mick Fitzsimons, I think we all agree, had a very, very good game against Clifford, despite Clifford's brilliance, especially in the first half. But you look at Clifford, got he got four points and a mark, four points from play and a mark. So let's call it five points, right? Uh, on, for three of those points, um, Mick Fitzsimons wasn't marking him. Somebody else had t- taken him because Mick Fitzsimons had forayed up the field. So it's a small stat, but it is an interesting one because that's a decision that Galway have to make. If Kelly takes Clifford, does he have to completely sacrifice the fact that part of how Galway play is him rampaging up the field? Connor, that transition then from, say, McFitzsimon stepping forward and somebody else picking up Clifford, is like for a well-organised, well-drilled side, is that should that be quite straightforward? Or are you always just going to have... So if it is Sean Kelly and Sean Kelly does decide to go forward, like is it a straightforward thing for Porrick Joyce to find another player to pick up Clifford when he's gone? Yeah, and, and again, it's you have to put yourself before the team, but on the flip side, ultimately it's a team game and it's about winning winning the game and coming out with a result rather than you know keeping your your opposition player scoreless. At the end of the day, that's that's irrelevant when it comes to the final scoreline. So I would imagine that Galway, if Sean Kelly picks up David Clifford, 
he will still aim to get on short kickouts, one twos, work the ball from from twenty one to forty five, or even from to the midfield to a certain point, and then know his limitations as get back as well. It may David Clifford then maybe give him the license to to stay in, but if not, he will have to track Sean Kelly, um, which again pulls him out of position. It also tires his legs as he's he's chasing and tracking rather than staying inside. It's something I probably had to add to my game from previous years where you get caught caught up so much on your opposition player that when we have the ball or when a team have the ball, you're adding not as much value as you should be. So that's that's the flip side to to Mal Markin is can you also put your opposition player on the back foot? Someone like Tom O'Sullivan, as you've alluded to earlier, has done it so well where he's marked opposition players and he has been like super glue stuck to them. But offensively, he's also adding something as well. So players are having to chase him as well. So it'll be a case of probably rotational. Somebody will always have to be there on Clifford. And on the flip side, someone will always have to be back on Comer or Walsh. But I would imagine that those players will also try and put them, whoever picks them up, on the back foot uh, until they can get back into position. Connor Kerry have an incredible array of attacking talent and there are many great forwards in the game right now but when you and Tyrone have been preparing for matches over the last two or three seasons is Clifford different like do you do you sit down and spend more time on how you as a team are going to stop him because you know if you don't he can single-handedly destroy you like is he that good that he deserves special attention compared to any other player in the country Look, he's probably the best player in the country along with the likes of Walsh and, and Sean O'Shea from a talent alone uh, aspect. But if you overemphasize David Clifford, then you lose sight of the players around him. Plus, it's the boys around him who make him tick, the likes of Potty, who will get the ball into him. Sean O'Shea, you know, David Clifford can't do much if he doesn't have his hands on the ball. You take Ronan McNamee marking him last year. I remember speaking to Ronan and just saying, look, this man's going to score. He's a quality player. But, you know, can you win X amount of battles here? Uh, one-to-one. Clifford's probably going to score four or five points at least this weekend. But if Sean Kelly makes three four assists, he makes five or six tackles, you know, a couple of blocks, I would still say that he's come out the right end of that, that battle. And it'll go a long way to probably helping the team if he gets too caught up on, on David Clifford and the team get too caught up on David Clifford, then carry it too many other uh, quality, quality players who who put you to the sword as well. So you have to look at team first in that aspect. Uh, Mick has done a mountain of work, Connor, to make this easy for you with your prediction because you've got all the stats <laughs> ready to go. Uh, go on. Not really. How's it going to go on Sunday? Um, I'm going to go. I like an underdog. I'll go for the outsider. I'm going to um, that said, now it'll be a case of how quickly they can adapt to the game, and without playing the occasion, you know, I'd imagine that Galway is is bouncing at the moment in the build-up. Can the players, you know, isolate themselves even from a whoop point of view? You know, in the build-up to All Ireland final last year, big emphasis for me was sleep and recovery that week. Trying to avoid, you know, I would I would delete all my social media, etc try and find time to just quiet time to meditate to cold bath just to keep my focus on the game and then the closer you get to the game you know you want to start thinking about right i'm a good player you know i've done the work and uh, let's let's go ahead and enjoy this here because when you're when you're a cub growing up that's 
that's what you dream of. So you're trying to take it in as much as you can as well. I know my whoop started recording activity nearly that morning because the heart heart rate was just was racing with uh, with excitement probably as much as anything rather than than fear and nerves which would have probably hindered me in the past. So it's a case of can Galway find their flow state? Can those boys, them key players and them key matchups, can them boys hit the zone um, where they're just moving, flowing? They realise, right, I'm going to kick a wide here. I'm going to kick a bad pass. I'm going to give the ball away. But um, when you're in that flow state, none phases you. And I'd imagine that Kerry will be well prepared in that sense. But if Galway can get up to speed, I fancy them to, to cause an upset. Uh, myself and Connor's whoops were at a similar level when Ryan O'Donoghue was standing over the penalty though. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Connor, great stuff. Uh, enjoy the game. Thank you, folks. Thanks for having me on. Meaningful metrics on off the ball in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more.